That's out. Oh, he's, he's, got, dropped oh, he's, it. he's dropped it. I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball. And the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. I hate grade cricket. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you call me champ. <laughs> Welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, England booked their place in the semi-finals after a crushing win over New Zealand, thanks to the big rare Alpha Dogs' second hundred in consecutive matches. Rohit Sharma is hitting hundreds for fun for India as Bangladesh are knocked out of the tournament. Sri Lanka somehow keep winning, uh, and we all wait with bated breath for Australia's match against South Africa and all the demons that come with it on Saturday night. Adam Collins joins us to discuss the commencement of the Women's Ashes. Hashtag AskTJC gets into team WhatsApps, reasserting alpha status, pregnant wives, squats, and what lie to tell your new clubmates. My name is Ian Higgins, and I'm joined by Sam Perry, who is in Melbourne. Just before I bring Pez in, I just want to remind people that greatcricketer.club for all of your live show tickets. We have sold out Sydney, we've sold out Melbourne, we've sold out our second London show. That means there are only tickets remaining now for Birmingham, Manchester and Leeds. Big news overnight is that we can announce our Manchester guest for the Manchester show is also Tim Bresnan. Huge win for us. We're so excited for that. So Tim's going to join us for Leeds and Manchester. There are still tickets available for that one, for the second London, or for the first London show, so to speak, uh, on the Monday night, and also for Birmingham. So greatcricketer.club for all of your tickets. Please do come along. They're fantastic nights out, and we want to celebrate cricket and, uh, you know, England winning the World Cup with you. So, Pez, what I want to know is... Um, can we talk about how good England are yet? <laughs> Morning, Higgos. Feels like it's been a little while since we've done this. It does, doesn't it? We're on a real roll there last week, cast after cast, and it's going to ramp back up again too. Feels like we're into the kind of third and final phase of yes. the Cricket World Cup uh, with the end of this week, sorting out the semifinals and then into the semifinals and the final next week. Good of England to turn up. They're here. Um, they're definitely here and they're coming at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 119 run win over New Zealand. So for England, they have essentially like smashed both, smashed two semi-final teams mm. uh, in two weeks. So if you haven't caught up with the scenario, uh, New Zealand will also make the semi-finals. Pakistan still are to play Bangladesh, but Pakistan will need to make 400 if batting first, and then dismiss Bangladesh for 84 mm. or less and win by 316 runs to eclipse uh, Bangladesh on net run rate. If Pakistan bats second, then there's no chance if, mm. if they win off the first ball, <laughs> mm. which I think is impossible. But um, so, so New Zealand will be in there. All that remains to sort out is uh, the positions. So Australia, if they beat South Africa, they will play New Zealand in what I presume would be a preferred semi-final. But South mm. Africa create demons for us, Ian, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised if Faf and de Kock and Rabada destroy us. Mm. Um, let's talk about England quickly, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Besto Barney Rone wrote a piece just in response to uh, this match, arguing that Johnny Besto is um, England's greatest ever ODI batsman. And he said in it, ask yourself, who else would it be if it's not him? And he backed it up. 
uh, with a lot of statistics, sort of averaging 54 in the last two years, sort of 5,000 or so runs, uh, and now two tons in a row in the World Cup. Um, I know we sort of we talk about the rare alpha dog stuff, and that is funny. Mm. But um, he's batting extremely well now. He's brutal. Uh, so, Mate, I've always uh, been a big Ronnie Arani guy as sort of yeah, best, okay. best ODI cricketer for England ever. I mean, talk about a guy who just revolutionised English cricket for like six months. Um, that's mean on Ronnie. Mate, but Johnny Bairstow is going absolutely gangbusters. And mm. um, I, I mean, we don't want to have another business meeting on air, but, but long story short... Um, we do get from time to time, you know, some Bearstow stories. Uh, and oh, from time to time, there's a flood. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they haven't stopped. Yeah, so we did think about creating a segment called "Unverified Johnny Bearstow Stories," mm. which would no, need to be screened yeah, heavily. We're uh, doing it. Okay, we're doing it. Look, but not on this show. Not I on this particular be. show. We. Yeah, but like, yeah. I mean, what I'm getting to is, and I told you this the other day that. One story came in in particular, and it's just changed my mind completely. I just think it's the funniest story I've heard because there's so many layers. Now, I've teased that because um, I guess what I'm asking for is if you do have yourself a rare alpha dog story uh, involving the big man JB there, then I guess write it in. Um, yeah, and if you're a lawyer as well, um, just to let us know what is permissible or not in relation that's to right. these stories. We were thinking yeah. the segment could be kind of like two truths, one lie. So we'll we'll pepper the segment with a bunch mm. of stories that aren't funny. But Johnny Bairstow is achieving Chuck Norris status. Yep. It, just in relation to the stories that are coming through. Yeah. Uh, some of them are, are hilarious. Mm. And um, I think some of them are untrue as well that are being sent through. Probably. But, uh, yeah. I, I Actually, I, I wonder whether there's even a podcast after the World Cup just just entitled Johnny Bairstow Unverified Stories. And then campaign and, him to get on the and podcast. And w- we will launch today. Um I've just said this unilaterally. He goes, mm-hmm. um, a campaign to get Johnny Bairstow onto this podcast. Okay. Because uh, I think he is the, I think he's the embodiment of the modern cricketer and everything that should be. Mm. He's, he's, he's not alpha, he's not beta, he's not rare, but he's all of those things at mm. the same time. Mm. And he may well just win his country a World Cup. Well, yeah, I mean, the way he's batting, my goodness me. Um, so just on the cricket, he goes... Um, mm. Quickly, we said we'd talk about his batting and then just went to his socials. But um, <laughs> uh, best 106 off 99. So what we're learning with this World Cup as well as it enters its final phase is to you need to win the toss and bat. Yeah. Uh, make the most of the first 15 to 20 overs when the wicket is hard because it just gets lower and slower and harder to score. Uh, once Roy and Besto got out, scoring was pretty difficult for England. Yeah. You know, they were sort of 190 for, for two or something like that yeah. uh, off 30 overs or yeah. and, and ended up, Scraping into 300, and New Zealand were never really a sniff after Kane Williamson was out at the Noah Strikers' end. Has run what out. What you've just described mm. is is it's 1999. You win the Correct. toss, you bat first. I mean, so, sorry if that was the point you were getting to, and I've cut you off. I apologise for that. But, but uh, yeah. you literally just described cricket in 1999. Win the toss, bat first, score your runs in the first 15 overs, score 300, win the game. Mm. It's incredible. Well, that's what Owen Morgan said at the toss. Right. That it's 1999. <laughs> no, he, he said that it was going to get lower and slower. And that's interesting because, you know, England was so wedded to that chasing uh, yep. strategy. Yeah, They've the model, abandoned yeah. that as well. Um, mm. And, yeah, look, it's good. You know, we've talked about it before. It, it brings the ball into the contest as well. Mm. Um, it makes me wonder whether bilateral series, you know, just have deliberately designed flat pitches because if without that, there's nothing fucking interesting about them. But, uh, mm. but yeah. 
Maybe. It's, um, it's, it's interesting. It, it looks as though we're not going to really get any of those, like, 400 pitches. Yeah, it's funny though, mate, isn't it? Because there's been a couple of times in this tournament where the openers have got away to, not just in Australia games or England games, but a few times in different games that the, the opening batsmen for the first innings have put on like 150 without loss, obviously, because they're the opening batsmen. Ian, you fucking idiot. And, um, Stupid man. Sorry, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a bipolarism in the morning. Um, uh, and then, like, the teams get clawed back. You know, it happened last night as well. I mean, England were looking at 400 at least at one stage. Um, I mean, I think 500 is a fantasy for this World Cup and probably for the next couple of years anyway. But, but uh, you know, just uh, you, get, you get a couple of wickets quickly and guys scoring hundreds and then getting out quite quickly after that as they try to accelerate. Um, it's There's definitely a pattern here, and it's happened this week as well. And Bairstow, both times low hundreds. You think about Finch getting out after the ball after getting 100 the week before. There's a bit of a pattern forming, but um, but it's really fascinating, mate. And I was saying this yesterday, that there are legitimately three teams who can win the World Cup. If India, England, or Australia win the World Cup from here, you wouldn't be surprised. I, I can't see New Zealand doing anything. I mean, you think about the, the, the tournament that they had, and they got away to a great start because they basically had in their draw – they beat the teams they should have beaten. Um, then they had the washout against India. Um, they've been beaten fairly convincingly by Australia after having Australia 90 for five. Mm. They've been hammered by England overnight. Um, and they also lost to Pakistan. So, you know, <laughs> New Zealand are a worthy semi-finalist. Uh, Pakistan, Pakistan just aren't getting in tomorrow. I actually think Bangladesh are going to win that game anyway. But, but I mean, New Zealand are worthy semi-finalists, but I think Australia would be absolutely licking their lips. They'd be they've done so well to a finish first, as long as they beat South Africa on Saturday night, which is you know no no uh, no given anyway. But to, to have that as a semi-final, therefore, you think Australia would be? Um, I wouldn't go as far as one foot in the final, but they 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 are the favourite finalists at this stage if they finish first. That'd be fair to say. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You you start you start plotting it out and. You know, sport never really works that way. No, it <laughs> but, doesn't. Um, but yeah, they're in the final. Uh, yep. is, is is what I'm saying. I just think you want to avoid England at all costs at the moment, don't you? I mean, England have legitimately they smashed India, mm. um, and and they uh, have just smashed New Zealand overnight as well. So I mean, they're, they're coming into a bit mm. of form. I mean, you look at the favourites now for the World Cup. England are actually favourites again. <laughs> so, yeah. um, which gives me some and the satisfaction. Thing is, it's not like a I mean, I said facetiously at the start that it's good of England to turn up, but uh, mm. it's not like the old England, you know, the England that dominated everyone for the last couple of years has turned up. Like, it's still it's still a side that has creaks and still yep. has gaps. Y- you can see that um, once you look at what happens after Roy and Besto get out uh, and they're, you know, same goes with their bowling as well. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, they'll go into a semi against India if they play them as slight favourites. And, geez, you know, like Australia-England World Cup final at Lords. I hate the term tasty, but I'm hungry. Oh, mate, it's tasty. That's tasty, especially Australia playing at Lords. Great record there. As we said when when Australia played England there recently, they don't have a great record there, um, England, and Australia do. So it's just, I mean, it's just, it's tantalising. Um... Mate, I mean, do we want to speak about India? Is there anything interesting there? Uh, I think the only interesting thing for mine is that Rohit Sharma's hit 1,500s and he's been dropped before 20 in each of those innings. Um, so don't drop Sharma and you're probably going to beat India. Also, Kohli hasn't hit 100 yet, which is which is weird. Um, but that's how, that's how high the standards are. He hasn't even hit 100 yet in the World Cup. So he's shit, mm. is what I'm saying. 
Um, <laughs> mate, do you want to talk about? Yeah, no, no, no nothing really beyond mm-hmm. that. Okay. Well, do you want to talk about James Anderson's calf? <laughs> well, yeah. News emerged the other day that uh, Anderson tried to run in a bowl three times, but um, but couldn't, uh, having injured his calf. Mm. And uh, it, there was yeah news all around the world that mm. the Ashes are only thirty days away, which is also funny that the Ashes is just thirty days it's away. Absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Anderson really is the. I mean, he's the most frightening prospect for Australia. Mm. And uh, you never wish injury upon anyone because I actually really enjoy watching Anderson bowl uh, in England, especially just the body contortions and the late swing. It's skill. And, and it's such skill. And Australian batsmen hanging their bats outside their bodies, mm. as we all would facing mm. James Anderson. Uh, but I'm not a an expert on calf injuries or whatnot. Um, I think you were, you were saying yesterday, he goes that they're you know, not the easiest to recover from. Um, yeah, and you would know, but uh, I, I would. He kept playing in that match as a batsman, which you know is very great cricket. I'll just play on as a bat and bat ball. <laughs> I was bat three um, now. Yeah, quick skid injured. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm month three batsman now that I can't deliver a cricket ball. Mm. But um, I would imagine that not bowling would be precautionary, and he'll make himself right. It, it points to a bigger, um, a bigger issue of the fact that there's five tests in a very short period of time. Within the ashes, yep. and uh, I think there's a you know it's going to make sense for both sides to be taking in sort of a cadre of five or six quicks mm. to get them through those series. So, mm. you know, if Anderson does happen to miss a match or two, then uh, you know it's it's trite to say, but it's great news for Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Australia five nil is what Sam Perry from the Great Cricketer says, and you can quote him on that in any of your media outlets as you as you like. Um. Mate, it's a really interesting one with Anderson because apparently he's been um, his his shoulder's been on a thread for about three seasons, and um, when you wow. start getting injuries outside of that, they can all be interconnected. So, for instance, I mean, I am not a physiotherapist. This is my own experience and just learning about the human body over the years, especially James Anderson's body. Learning about James Anderson's body over the years, but but basically, what I'm saying is that, like, when you um, have to take strain away from one part of the body, you overexert another part of the body, and that can even be as far far removed as a calf to a shoulder. So, um, yeah, and also Jimmy Anderson's be 30, 35, Jimmy Anderson. That'd be about right. I mean, soft tissue injuries do not recover very quickly um, like that. And we also, everyone in this pod, everyone listens to this podcast knows how much effort uh, the human body goes through in bowling a ball. So it's an interesting one to um, to stay on top of. But, um, but yeah, Anderson injured is significant for Australia's chances in the in the, in the the World Cup and also the Ashes. Um, Pez, I don't know if you want to get into the SCG drop-in pitch, mm. but that's um, yes, that's, I, that's I another one that's happened overnight. Uh, those uh, overnight happened a couple of days ago, people who may be, uh, be following um, this stuff. So there are two drop-in pitches at the moment at uh, the MCG and Adelaide Oval, and there's been uh, some discussion about the same thing happening to the SCG, the hallowed turf of the SCG. Drop-in pitches can go one or two ways. Adelaide Oval seems to be a very good drop-in pitch, so it can work, um, but it also allegedly takes about 10 years for the for the grass and knit together or some shit like that. The MCG mm-hmm. is one of the worst wickets in Australia. The SCG is uh, probably on par, maybe you know, maybe slightly worse than it has been uh, than the MCG. So they're not great wickets anyway. Let's be right about that. But um, just the idea about dropping pitches of the SCG send shudders through the spine of cricket lovers everywhere, I suggest. That's right. So um, what's happened is 
so, so as you said, he goes, Melbourne and Adelaide have a drop-in pitch. The reason they have these drop-in pitches is because both grounds have um, a lot of AFL played there, AFL being the major code uh, in the winter for both of those states. Uh, and having, as you'd imagine, having a cricket square on those grounds is suboptimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also... Yeah, it's probably as described by the SCG Trust, ex-SCG Trust Chairman Rodney Cavalier, um, as you know, the major business of those two states is different for Sydney. Um, now, what's happened is the AFL Chief Executive Gillan McLaughlin has written a letter on behalf of the AFL Commission to the SCG Trust, asking it to consider a move to drop in wickets. Um, it's based on the presentation of the game according to the AFL, and its desire to grow the code in a non-traditional market. So dropping pitches in and of itself might sound kind of boring, but what we're talking about is um, AFL's slow creep into dominating every element of sport <laughs> in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, if you're from Sydney uh, and those who aren't from Sydney, just for, for some cultural context, Aussie rules is not the main sport. Uh, in Sydney, it's rugby league and rugby union uh, in the winter. Rugby union's almost dead, though, as a game, to be fair. Yeah. And uh, and cricket's also a very big game. Sydney have had some good AFL teams, obviously, um, but it's not in the kind of DNA of the state. So the idea that the Sydney cricket ground wicket um, be fundamentally changed to accommodate uh, the presentation of the game. Gill and McLaughlin and AFL have looked at the SCG and gone, you know what look better? Just less of a square, <laughs> less of the 120-year Sydney cricket ground square yeah, yeah. Uh, and all of its history and character. Less Bradley, just, more just, Tony Lockett. Just, yeah, just make a pitch. Just mm. make a pitch in some kind of silo somewhere, put it on a truck, drive it in, mm. you know, and drop it in um, mm. because we need, the, um, we need the footy to look better, you know. And uh, apparently the old trust um, contingent, saw this coming, uh, and they're, they're not at the helm anymore. They saw this coming, so what they did, apparently when they redesigned the SCG, they deliberately made it um, difficult for a truck to drive into the SCG, knowing that this is what would happen with drop-in wickets. It's not wide uh, enough. It's, not, it, it's just not wide, wide enough for a truck enough. to come in. We just can't literally get a, a pitch in. But, um, <laughs> we'll be watching this one closely because while you can understand, you know, that the MCG, well, to many, is actually just a footy ground. Uh, And same goes the Adelaide Oval. Uh, The Sydney cricket ground is a cricket ground, uh, Mm. first and foremost. It has that, it has, um, you know, it's like it has that feel and vibe and character. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it would be, it would be uproarious for for the deck to be taken away on account of AFL. And I'm Mm. sure that, AFL will be offering the trust a lot of money for that to happen. Mm. But um, for, for the Sydney Cricket Ground to be dominated by AFL and for it to lose its wicket, which has been shit in the mm. last few years, but still has a character, um, that would be a tragedy. And it would be um, it would be less than a tragedy, it would be a disgrace. Pez, um, do you reckon the, uh, the third biggest sport in Sydney is Israel Folau's social media? True. That yeah. is true. Yeah, which actually true. coincides with the death of rugby, ironically. Yeah. You know, would would the SCG Trust make changes for his for the sport that is Israel Folau's social media? Would they do if that? Israel Folau lobbied, you know, on GoFundMe for his church to be relocated to the SCG. He'd probably get money for it. So I guess that's a threat too. It's a good point. Good point. Um, 
Okay, Pez, before um, we get Adam Collins on the phone, let's talk Australia, South Africa. Yep. Mate, there are fucking demons everywhere. <laughs> there are just there is there's storylines everywhere. And I was thinking about this. I mean, this is why the Ashes is so good. It's because there are storylines everywhere. I mean, we'll get into the yes. storylines as we get closer to the Ashes. We don't need to going to go there here, but like James Anderson's part of that. But this game in particular, there's fucking Faf de Placina Tau, there's there's Macram's run out, there's Dave there's Nathan Lyon dropping the ball in Abe de Villiers, there's the whole Warner thing, Smith and Rabada. There's so many storylines all in this one game. And basically South Africa don't have the ability anymore to like knock Australia out of the World Cup, but they could make it very uncomfortable and not get Australia have their preferred semi with a win. I mean, South Africa, I was looking through the, the teams this World Cup. Sri Lanka have had a great World Cup. The, the, the amount of games they've won is unprecedented. They are the, they, Before this World Cup, they were the worst team, including Afghanistan. Um, West Indies haven't had a great World Cup, but they've had a, you know, a couple of games where it's been close. Pakistan, you've got to say, for a team who lost 4-0 in England before the World Cup started, to go, to go into uh, eight games in and have, and have a chance of getting into the semis, they've had a great World Cup. Bangladesh, 50-50. New Zealand have had a good World Cup. Australia have had an amazing World Cup. England still might win the thing, and India have only lost one game so far. There are so many teams that have had, you know, solid World Cups. South Africa have had an absolutely abysmal, shameful World Cup, and I don't know how it's all fallen apart, but the last game of their tournament before they move on to wherever else they play is against Australia. All these storylines coming back together. It is it's, – it's delicious. Mm. Well, without doubt, the entire game is about demons being banished. Mm-hmm. For Australia, mm. I can't see it happening. When I look at Faf Duplessis in the context of Australia playing, I just, I, well, I, I wither, mm. my knees buckle. Mm. You know, same goes Rabada, Quinton de Kock. They've been, they've shown, they've been listless South Africa listless. this entire World Cup, and I, and I, and insipid, mm. and I just expect all of their character and hunger and skill to return for this match. Because of what has happened, I expect it to be a great game. If nothing else, Stark's playing fantastically well. You got to say he's, he's by I far the best. To win. He's Let, a, let's, let's have it right. When I turn on the TV and my team Australia is playing, yes. Regardless of any rationality, I expect them to win. Yes, and to win well. And I expect every moment of the match to result in Australia to win. You know that moment, those micro moments. Um, me- yes, it says more about me and more about our country and our exceptionalism. Of course, so that, that will happen. But if Mitchell Stark that, takes three more wickets in this World Cup, he will break the record, which is currently held by Glenn McGrath, and he was good in the 2007 World Cup of 20, 24, 26 wickets in a World Cup, something like that. Stark needs three more. He's going to get two more games to do that. Um, it's incredible. So he's on our team, and that's good. Steve Smith hasn't really scored many runs this World Cup, and I fancy him to do something good uh, in this game. Anyway, we'll find out what happens next. Um, our next podcast, Pez, is going to be on... When's it come out? Monday. Is it's that actually right? going to come out on Monday. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we had a huge week last week. We released mm. four casts. Uh, so mm. we just... Excuse me. It's <laughs> music in the morning. <laughs> nice. But, um, uh, yeah, so we just... We're evening up the ledger this week. Well, we should say that there's been reasons for that, Pez. You've actually spent three days in Sydney this week as we've been planning our live show act, um, which is... Uh, we've been told by promoters to tell everyone that it's a new show. Um 
but it doesn't really matter because half the shows are sold anyway. So um, that's the reason why for the slower uh, uptake in uh, in productivity podcast this week, we've been planning the live shows. Cannot wait for that. You know where to get the tickets. Club. Adam Collins is on the phone coming up next. Stay tuned. It's Queensgrove Sports' massive birthday sale. All brands reduced to clear. Kookaburra, Grey Nichols, New Balance, GM and more. Everything's priced to make you think it's actually worth it. Need a new stick to kid yourself that you'll actually average above 11 this season? Don't waste your money on actual therapy. Try retail therapy instead. We've got last year's stock with this year's stickers. And double the price. We've got the brands of yesteryear too. Remember MRF? Brian Lara used one. So that must mean you're good enough to use it too. Flintoff and KP used a woodworm. I'm pretty sure they went into receivership, so we're basically giving them away. Remember when Albion sponsored Chris Martin, the worst batsman of all time? I have no idea how these bizarre alien pads didn't sell out. We've got them! What about those weird Indian brands that look like railway sleepers, weigh the same, and have absolutely no middle? We've got you covered. We even sell bats with no stickers on them, so it looks like you're trying to get sponsored, even though you're in fifth grade. So rush into Queen's Grove Sports today and make this season your last. We're with one of the great friends of the pod, Adam Collins, who is uh, just getting through an absolute ton of work in the UK covering both men's and women's cricket. I've no idea where he is at the moment, but I am looking at a report uh, he filed for the Sydney Morning Herald uh, the other day from Leicester in relation to Australia's victory over England and the women's ashes. It uh, starts off by saying it was also straightforward, having crashed through England for 177, who were reduced to four for 19 after being inserted. Australia were cruising on a sunny Midlands evening. What happened next, Collo? Good question. G'day, boys. I feel like I should start by saying I was in a really bad mood when I spoke to you last time, and I don't know if that came across as well as it was meant to, but look, I'm, I'm feeling happier now. Um, so that's a nice place to start the conversation. Uh, no, the, the, um, the, they, um, they just kind of, it wasn't like they collapsed. They just kind of spluttered around along the chase. So only after about 178 to win. And, and I, I don't think there's any sort of one thing you can put your finger on other than the fact that what, what I might sort of link it to is that it doesn't feel like an Ashes series for the women at the moment. In 2015, the Open down in Taunton was a sellout and it was an amazing carnival atmosphere. I remember it being a really quite sort of big day. Um, two years ago in Australia, kind of the same. All the women's Ashes fixtures had pretty big crowds and they were a bit of an event because they were the precursors of the men's and all the rest of it. And it had like the, its own window and that kind of thing. This time, because it's been played against the World Cup, um, it just feels like it's being squeezed a bit for space and that doesn't mean the players and, and those who are around the squads and of course what we're doing covering it is diminishing the slightest. We're still, everyone's committed to what they're doing but maybe just on the periphery of it all there's a bit less sting in it which might reflect the fact that it looked like a bit, it was, a, it was like a basical performance on both parts with the bat but Australia set up with the ball, they had them 4 for 19 um, with the usual suspects Perry and shoot doing the job early on. Um, probably the main talking point out of the game was that they don't have DRS for this series, which is ridiculous because on television we're seeing the DRS technology be used to show us on the replay screen and whatever else, and yet for some reason they've elected not to use the formal technology for the review system. So that meant there was like a really bad moment in the England innings where one of their best players was given out leg before off the glove 
and it just looked preposterous. And that's the sort of thing that I think, that, you know, the women are always talking about and they want to be treated the same as the men in as many areas of the game as is possible. I mean, I think they're mindful of the fact they're not going to get paid equal salaries any time soon as laudable as that call is. But something like DRS, like, why shouldn't they have it? What's holding it back? So that's been the, the talking point in the, in the 24 hours since the, since the first one day. And we're back there tomorrow for the second one. Colin, can you um, give us a, a rundown of, uh, or just a reminder of how the women's Ashes works? I mean, it's, it's three ODIs, a yeah. test match, and three T20s, but there's a point system to it as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you get two points for a white ball win and four points are on offer for the test. So if you win the test, you get four. If you draw it, it's two apiece. So last time around, Australia won the one day as 2-1. They drew the test and they lost to the T20s 2-1. So it meant that um, the, they retained the trophy they won in 2015 rather than sort of winning it as such, they, they drew on points. So, um, yeah, it's a really clever system for women's cricket. The, mm. the one, one of the things that um, all the women say who play at the top level is they want more test cricket. At the moment, there's one test every two years. There's no multi-day red ball cricket in Australia or England, and even though administrators are reluctant to go down that path. I mean, to put it in some perspective, about three seasons ago, there were reports on Cricket Info that um, people inside Cricket Australia were trying to get rid of women's 50 over cricket as well. So um, the idea of expanding it to multi-day cricket might be a bit far-fetched at the moment, unfortunately, but um, it's certainly something the players want to do. Whenever they're asked about it, they want those opportunities, and, and they get this test match in Taunton, which comes nicely in between uh, the end of the Men's World Cup and the start of the Men's Ashes. So at least in that week, they won't be fighting for oxygen. We'll all be down there. It'll be a big event. So even though it started on a slow burn, I think it'll pick up quite nicely. Australia have enjoyed some success against England recently. I'm just you know thinking back to... Uh, you know, Perry's knock at North Sydney Oval um, yeah. back in 2017, 2018. Uh, how are Australia placed? I mean, this is obviously just a you know parochial um, podcast yeah. uh, where we just get behind the boys, boys being um, just a, a general term. Yep. Um, Not as much as how- some podcasts. I've listened to some cricket podcasts which use we and us and them. And mm. like, you don't do that, do you? It's not a we no. and us and them. Like, you're not mm. Only ironically. You're not singing the circle yeah. the song in the middle of the circle. You're not doing that. No, you get you, you get a lot of neg- you get a lot of negative correspondence if you don't get behind the boys, um, so to speak. But um, yeah. so just in the context of getting behind the boys, um, how how are Australia's women placed against England here, Colin? I mean, are they favourites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, and they should be. What happened in 2017? Really interesting, actually. I was talking to Megan Shoot about it yesterday. So. 2017, I lost the World Cup semi, and that was quite a significant thing. Now, massive favourites going into the tournament. Um, they lost to England in the group stage, and then against India, Hamid Prekor hit one of the modern great innings, or great modern innings, I should say, 171, blitzed Australia, and they got punted out. And we didn't know it at the time, but subsequently they were happy to talk about the fact that they weren't in a good space as a team. Like They felt that they were really stiff, and they weren't able to be themselves off the field as much is kind of the vibe I get. Um, Matthew Mott, the coach, has talked about this, that they needed to be far more open and vulnerable, I guess is the word that I've heard used by a couple of them, about where they're at. And that seems to have paid massive dividends. It's a far um, a far freer exchange of thoughts now in the dressing room, so they've told us, and um, they they share what they're feeling a lot more. It might sound a little bit fuzzy-duddy fuzzy or whatever else, but um, when you're on the road for so long and whatever else, being able to 
have those um, have those uh, exchanges of ideas and so forth. I think is pretty important. And by the sounds of things, that wasn't the case in 2017. So when they went to the World T20 late last year, when we were in the Caribbean for that, um, they were amazing. Like it was an absolutely dominant performance because they were partially trying to make amends for having lost the World Cup in 50 over cricket, but partially I think they were trying to make a bit of a statement about where they are at. And we, we sometimes talk about the two-speed economy in women's cricket, that being Australia and England and the rest. It's, it's not quite as simple as that, but um, I think for Australia's part, they want to lay a real marker in this women's ashes to show that, well, there, there, is, there, is, a, there is a team who is number one and then there is the rest and they can sort themselves out. And that's not to speak ill of the England side either, I should add. They've done... A lot of a lot. They've achieved a lot. They're, they're current 50 over World Cup champions. They made the T20 final despite missing two of their most important players, um, Sarah Taylor and Catherine Brunt, during that tournament last year. So they're going really nicely, and and they they are a hard fighting side. Like they're a never give up sort of unit. So what they lack in. Uh, perhaps some of the natural ability the Australian side has. And that's being a bit unfair to the England players. But you look at them on paper and Australia looks like they're so deep and they're so powerful. But England have got plenty of heart as well, which was reflected in the way they, they fought back in that women's ashes two years ago. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty well-placed series, given that England did get bowled out for 177 and they, they nearly bowled Australia out. They still needed 11 to get for with um, when Delisa Kimmins uh, joined George, Georgia Wareham at um, eight down. So it was a... It was a far closer contest than it looked like at the halfway mark when Australia crashed through them. Thorough, comprehensive, as always, Adam Collins. You can catch him everywhere, to be frank, um, but in particular their podcast, The Final Word, Adam and Jeff. It's a great listen. Um, we'll let you go, mate. I'm sure you've got a 1,000 other interviews to do, and we'll catch up with you soon. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Talk soon. Hashtag AskTGC, Ian Harper starts straight away and he says, Hi guys, our team WhatsApp group has been kicking off this week as you've answered two questions from us in two successive podcasts. Will Stephen, the Chop King, and the man who would like to remain anonymous with his Mark Ramprakash story are both in our team. Sorry, this is taking a while to get to. There's obviously a lot come in, uh, Ian, so uh, bear with us. I'm writing in today to see if you'll answer this question and thus answer three questions in three weeks. We have failed to do that. From our underperforming amateur cricket side and provide us with some weird approval we clearly see. And B, to answer my own question, I did quit cricket, got big, travelled and got a job. I left the game that compromised teenage years with overplaying and underperforming. It felt good. However, since discovering your podcast and looking at the game from afar through rose-tinted glasses, I've rejoined the club in an attempt to play the game just for fun, maybe even ironically. And after finding myself counting dot balls and champing people, then on play cricket, every day in the office checking my meaningless stats, writing to you now, and yesterday getting off the phone with a tour operator about a club tour, I'm starting to question whether it is ironic anymore or whether I'm just back immersed in the game completely. Question is, is it possible to play cricket ironically or just for fun or eventually will you just get sucked back into a completely and lose sight that it is just a game that you play, that you pay to play? Love to hear your thoughts slash advice. Cheers, and obviously we all look forward to your live show in London. It's from Ian Harper, I presume from London. Pez, yeah, can thanks, you Ian. ever I've, play? I've often thought, yeah, can you ever play ironically? Mm. I've often thought about that. Uh, obviously we're all out of the game. He goes, sometimes I think what would it be like to like optimize the way you want to play cricket get all you all the mates that you'd want to play with mm. do all the jokes you'd like to do mm. um, obviously that's impossible i'd suggest that um playing ironically is a it's a very long joke yeah <laughs> it's, it's long, yeah yeah it's a long and very yeah. committed joke i like <laughs> that but i mean you'd be kidding yourself as well 
um, you'd be saying, oh, no, I'm only, I'm only appealing like this ironically. Oh, I'm only counting dot balls ironically. And then all of a sudden you find, no, I'm not. I'm doing that. In, it, it, it seeps into you and you end up doing that as part of your own culture all day, every day, even at work. Uh, and onwards. I don't know. He goes, I don't think you can play ironically. Nature versus nurture, mate. Once you are ingrained into the winning mentality and all the minutiae that bugs you when someone does it wrong, like if, if someone throws the ball from second slip to cover and it bounces, the first thing I think, fuck's sake, just pick the fucking ball up. Protect mm. the ball. Fuck me. It's funny to be doing that ironically all day, though. That could, like, if I saw that, that couldn't be triggered. I'd just be, I would see that and I'd see the yeah. bloke at mid on with his shirt untucked. And like a slightly oversized shirt that, you know, obviously doesn't fit well and he's wearing a watch. And I'd just be thinking, oh, that just looks so shit. And then mm. I'd be like, but I'm on the same field as him. Mm. Why have we got two catching mid-ons? Why is the wicketkeeper going to be a floppy aviator sunglasses in a short sleeve shirt? You know, like you can't play, you can't play a sport ironically when you've grown up competing in it. Because, yeah, it, because then if you start doing well in it, then you'd be like, Oh, hang on a second. I'm in the top five run scorers here. And then you start, I better start trying hard. You can't get out. If you've grown up, you know, wanting to succeed in something, like 99% of the people in this podcast, you know, have, they grew up thinking they're going to play international cricket in this World Cup. That's what they thought. Mm. You can't change. And we've all got a fear of change. So, no, you can't play ironically. <laughs> Bloke plays and misses. You're just like, oh, what the f- why am I even here? It's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to share a field with you, you fucking idiot. Are you serious? Yeah. Anonymous (laughs) writes in, I have a bit of a dilemma that I would like to ask for some advice on. Last weekend, I was Alfred hard, so hard, I questioned my whole being. Once a crucial cog in the alpha wheel at my club, it seems that I've been demoted, or some might say written off completely. Let me explain. On the hottest weekend of the year thus far, with humidity levels off the chart, our cricket-worshipping vice-captain lost the toss and, surprise, surprise, we were asked to field. The pitch was d- as dead as my social life and the outfield as unpredictable as Dirk Nannis's bumper. To make matters worse, the vice-captain opened the bowling and later the batting with his shit part-time off-spin. In an attempt to get off the field as quickly as possible and to avoid any unnecessary running, I politely inquired, Hey Dave, um, do you need a short extra cover? Knowing full well I wouldn't move from there for the next 12 boring, unpredictable overs. To my utter shock and disbelief, I was greeted with a bellow of, will you just shut the fuck up now? (laughs) The whole team quietly chuckling and my alpha status ruined. I need your advice. Am I just jealous that he's five years younger, has a better rig, salad, personality and has no children, thus being able to actually enjoy his life? Or should I, one, attempt to offer him back in the next game by critiquing his almost perfect batting technique from the sidelines by shouting, hit the fucking thing, you prick, in order to establish myself as an alpha once again? Two, attempt to repair the relationship by volunteering to be the guy that throws 1,000 balls to him pre-innings with the faint hope I might actually get a bowl the next game and bat above nine. Or three, start an inappropriate rumour from his past that brings his status crashing back to earth. (laughs) Unfortunately, quitting cricket is not an option as it's the only chance I get to leave the house and forget about my little shit of a two-year-old. Yours sincerely, Anonymous. Appreciate the question, Anon. Um... I love the idea of C there of do I bring back or do I create a rumour making him bring him crushing him down to earth I love that idea of cricket is like for you to succeed others must fail and that and that is never more transparent than than that option there um yeah, I he goes like um a, firstly once a crucial cog in the alpha wheel um 
I guess we have to accept that on face value. It, oh, that, I, that he was once an alpha and a young a young person's come in who's captain now and absolutely destroyed yeah. him. Mate, the young person's just an alpha. He's just more alpha than him. I mean, that's it's clear. He's got better salad, better chat, better pipes, better rig. Um, he's single, so he can have sex stories. Uh, he's just, How do you he, bring down the alpha? I, 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 what I was thinking was, I mean, this guy, Anon is a family man, it seems. I mean, he obviously seems clearly very happy with his, with his current living situation and his child in general. But you know those people who are who are always dads who are like outside the alpha beta sphere, and they're just really mm. comfortable with their life. And there's there's like a few guys who turn up, and they're like they're clearly quite successful in their job. They might drive a slightly yeah. nicer car, and they're just really nice to people, and they just seem to enjoy cricket. There are there are people who are like that. They're always in their like mid to late thirties. Yeah. Um, they're just comfortable. I'll just argue that you're never outside that ecosystem. I mean, if you if you're appearing outside it, that's a tactic. But, but that's but that's what but I think I think a non can do that. I think it can appear that he's just above he's just above it. Um, you can't. But he's been told to shut the fuck up. You have to respond to that. I mean, I'd I'd be leaning towards C. Like so so two is okay. so B, B is to throw a thousand balls. Get rid of that idea. Fuck immediate, that. Yeah. Immediately. Immediately. Unless you want to enshrine yourself yeah. as a fucking beater. Punish yourself for, for the thinking. remainder of your cricket days. Yeah, I would have thought so. Um. Hit the fucking thingy, prick. No, that's nah. not a good line. It doesn't sound funny or alpha. No. Nah. So don't say that. Three, inappropriate rumours. So yeah, maybe just some federal police hard drive stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure what your job is, but if you're in the public service, maybe it's, it's like, yeah, 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 federal police been sniffing around. Um, yeah. You know. Hard drive stuff always works. Yeah, hard drives, yeah, especially in the new age. You're right. Uh, well, let's move on, Pez, here to another anonymous question yeah. involving a similar theme. Dear hashtag RCGC, my wife and I have recently found out that she is pregnant and, amongst other things, have started discussing signing up for antenatal classes. Based on my friend's experiences, I understand that antenatal classes led to the creation of at least three WhatsApp groups, one for everyone, one for all the fathers, and a further subgroup of cool dads. So the three groups are one for everyone, another one for all the fathers, and a further subgroup called Cool Dads. When speaking to my wife about this, I said, as a joke aside, I hope some of the fathers are nice guys so that I can invite them to the good bloke splinter group, to which she immediately responded, why do you think that you would be one of the alphas in that scenario? <laughs> for context, she doesn't, listen, she doesn't listen to the pod, hates cricket, and has never said the word alpha as long as I've known her. I suppose deep down I've always known I'm a massive beta cuck, but being alphaed so aggressively by my own wife really does put things in perspective. <laughs> I suppose my question is this. Why am I unable to simply drop the hands and sway out of the way when shadow batting to the ball that pops off a length, squares me up, flicks the shoulder of the bat, and offers up a catch to second slip that is so loopy that the imaginary cordon is already celebrating before the hairy forearm the alpha with a great salad who's been sledging me throughout my scratchy innings of 13 off 20? Inevitably, how just it? Thoughts? That's terrific. He's just ex- he's, he's, that's Ricky Ponting, isn't it? He's a hairy forearmed alpha who's been sledging you throughout. That is, yeah. Great um, question. Yeah, it is a good question. I like. Um, I often say to my wife. Oh yeah. Like if you're a like she she's so much more alpha than me. Mm. Like if you're a bloke, you would just be an out and out alpha. Like as you'd be establishment alpha, mm. just ruthless, establishment and alpha, aggressive and relentless. <laughs> Which are yep. three characteristics that 
I um, you know, love her for uh, yeah. in, in various areas of her life. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, it it is very jarring when you get so comprehensively offered by your own wife or partner, mm. especially if in that event they're saying that you're not an alpha. And it's, it put us a question too. What do you think that you'd be one of the alphas in that scenario? Because <laughs> <laughs> how do you get out when you when you're shadow batting? Do, yeah, do you ever get out? Up. Um, yeah. Well, it's everyone knows that there's something really, something feels really beautiful about doing that square up motion. Yeah. When shadow batting and just really popping that bat outside your body with your um where you have contorted your torso towards square leg, mm-hmm. such as being the violent movement off the wicket, mm. and you can only follow the ball with your hands. Mm. So this a few times. Like, like Tim Payne get, got beaten all ends up by Boomer a few times for this series, but he still looked really good doing that mm. movement, mm. as though he'd done it you know, a million times before. Mm. And as you do it, you scratch your feet on the ground. Mm. Uh, that, yeah, that's how I get it. It doesn't... Um, it doesn't pop off the top corner of the bat, though. I just, oh, just yeah, I've, I've had that done to me a couple of times. I'd like to get Dr. Happy's take on this, actually. Um, he's, he's obviously the guy to speak to about this specific psychological problem. Mm-hmm. But, like, what is it about it that, like, is there something satisfying about getting out to a good ball as if, like, you couldn't do anything about it? Like, that's actually almost more satisfying than scoring runs on some days where, like, what you want is for someone in the dressing room to go, like, oh, bad luck, mate, mate, you couldn't do much about that. Absolute jaffa. Like, that that is, like... Like you're being given a pass for not being very good, but then why do I shadow bat and practice getting out? Because mm-hmm. like during my own career, I had a bit of a problem with the front pad. You know, Shane Watson review jokes inserted here. So, but like when I when I get out shadow batting, it's never LBW. I'm always my I'm right-handed batsman. My right hip always comes right through, faces the bowler, chest gets squared up. It's an absolute peach. You know, it's swung in, decked away. That's how I'm getting out, and it always does go to second slip. It's never a fine nick. Like it's like I'm good enough to get a good piece of bat on it, you know. Not none of these like you know pissy little scratches through the keeper. I'm I'm good enough to get a thick piece of wood on it. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Well, I think that answers Anonymous's question. Oh Look, yeah. Just last one. Here question. he goes. We couldn't get them all today. Last one from Happy Hooch. Over a 20-year grade cricket career as a wicketkeeper, I've probably done 300,000-plus squats. Whilst my rig and pipes don't match the demands of the modern game, my mad dog McDougal pins certainly help me on the circuit. I request pins be added to the TGC KPI database. Um, I like your intent, Happy Hooch. Complete waste of time. Um, training legs is a waste. You wear Baker's white pants all day. No one sees your legs. Uh, when you go on the circuit, you're wearing jeans. Um, you know, it does get embarrassing when you go for your Sunday sessions at your sort of your Ivy pools or any sort of swim, swimming party, uh, you know, so, so a house party with a swimming pool in the backyard. Um, and you, you've trained chess for, you know, 16 years of your life and, uh, and never legs. It does get a bit embarrassing then. But the rest of the time, mate, waste of time. Um, also, no wicket keeper in the history has ever had big quads because um, you're basically a marathon runner because you're just doing a low weight-bearing exercise over and over again, and it's really bad for your knees. So quick cricket, and do you know the rest of that joke? Any thoughts on that, Pez? Nothing to add. Thank you to Adam Collins for joining the show. Thank you as ever for downloading the show. We'll be back Monday morning after South Africa and Australia, or Australia and South Africa, whichever way you're inclined. There's only a few games left of this World Cup, but it's all coming together. We'll see you next time.